And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he called them to be his guests. The next day he rose and he went off with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his kinsmen and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man uncommon or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, I told you a little bit about the inspiration for our theme this year of Love Your Neighbor, No Exception. It really went back to 2018 when Tom Hanks was in Pittsburgh and he was filming the movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Filming was going well when on October the 27th, they were worshiping at the Tree of Life Synagogue on the Sabbath when a man suddenly came in the back and shouting anti-Semitic slurs, and then he began to shoot. In the midst of worship, in the midst of people praying, suddenly we had 11 people dead, many more wounded. Rabbi Myers survived, but he was suddenly trying to help everyone. In the end, all of Pittsburgh began to pour out all of their concern and love and support for the Jewish community, specifically the Tree of Life Synagogue. It was an extremely emotional time. It, it was the worst killing of Jews on American soil in our history. It was an incredible tragedy. Well, it was after that happened that a Catholic church up on the hill at the end of the street there in, in Squirrel Hill community, they put up a sign that said, Love thy neighbor, no exception. There was Tom Hanks who saw it and took a picture of it and tweeted it out and said, We can do that if we choose to. Well, when we saw that back in 2018, we made the decision that was going to wind up being our theme for 2020. And so it was this last week, Wendy Lambert and Phil Greenwald, Josh Attaway and I, we went up to Pittsburgh. We went up to Pittsburgh because so, I had made an appointment with Rabbi Myers at Tree of Life Synagogue to be able to go in to visit and to talk to him about what they had experienced and how they had dealt with it and how they were going to go forward into the future. 
They have not moved actually back into their tree of life synagogue. No, they meet at Rodef Shalom, which is a reformed Jewish community, beautiful facility. But the congregation of Tree of Life is meeting there. Still, it's been over a year now. And when we talked to the, <clears throat> to the rabbi, he said that, you know, we just don't feel like it's been the right time <coughs> to move back into our synagogue yet. It's so hard. When you go back somewhere that your mother was killed, your husband died, your wife was shot and killed. I mean, I cannot imagine how hard that would be. And he said, it just, it just doesn't feel right yet. But he said, we will not let evil chase us from our home. We will go back. They said, but we have to be able to, to renovate and to repair. And we're trying to figure out exactly what the synagogue should look like and what, what we hope it can be able to do to serve the community. So they're working on it. And he said, we will know when the time is right and when we're able to finally go back home. But we got to talking. And as you can imagine, the rabbi, I've seen him interviewed many times on TV. He was just kind. He knew how to laugh. He knew how to love. It was obviously it brought great compassion and healing with his congregation, but also stood strong and brought hope. We visited and visited and visited. We had only asked for a few minutes. It went on and on and on, and we had a great time getting to know him. But as we were talking, he said something I thought was important. He said, you know, we like to say in America that we're a melting pot, but that's not true. We live in silos. We don't know our neighbors. It is when we get to know our neighbors that things change. He said, I believe that humanity overall is good. We can't let a few taint us all. We have a choice every minute of every day as to what comes out of our mouth. As easy as we spew hate, we can also spew love. I said, when I go back home to Oklahoma City and I come back to this family of faith, what would you want me to share with them? And he said, tell them to get to know their neighbors. That's what this year is all about. Love your neighbor, no exception. We want to get to know our neighbors, to be those who are the good neighbor. Because I believe, as the rabbi does, that humanity is basically good. And we get to choose what it is we are going to spew. What are we going to say? What comes out of our mouth? We can be the good neighbor. And that's what we are called to be. In our scripture lesson this morning, we're reading one of the most significant passages in the history of Christianity. One of the most significant stories in the Bible. It's all about how Jesus had come, He had called His disciples, He is crucified, He is raised from the dead, ascends into heaven, and now the disciples are trying to figure out what does it mean to be church? Now that Jesus has come and He's ascended into heaven, how do we take the things we've learned all of our lives, the scriptures we've read, the things we've been taught, and how do we square that with 
the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself? How do we square that with the story of the good Samaritan, the Samaritan who hates Jews and Jews, hates Samaritans, and yet we're told to love and to show kindness to one another? So they're struggling with this because Peter knows the truth, and the truth is Jews cannot be friends with Gentiles. So he's gone to Joppa. He's gone to Joppa, and there he is in a, uh, in a Simon the Tanner's house. It's about noon when he goes upstairs to pray on the rooftop. He's praying on the rooftop, and suddenly he sees this sheet coming down from heaven by four corners, and on it are all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds, unclean food, and a voice says, rise up, kill, eat. And Peter says, I would never do that. I've kept kosher all my life. I would never do that. And the voice said, do not call unclean that which is clean, which God has made clean. Goes back up into heaven. In a moment, it comes back down. The whole scene gets repeated. Back into heaven. A moment later, it comes back down. They repeat the whole scene. Goes back up into heaven. I think God was trying to tell Peter something just in case he might miss it here. Three times, same thing. And I love the line when it says, and Peter is trying to figure out what this is all about. When the voice says, three men are going to come and ask you to go with them. Go. About that time, knock on the door. They open the door and there's three men and they say, we represent Cornelius, an Italian cohort. He's a Roman soldier, centurion. He wants to know more about Jesus. Would you come and be with him? Now, wait a minute. You got Peter. He is a good Jew. He knows Jews do not associate with Gentiles. And this isn't just a Gentile. This is a Roman soldier. Well, first of all, you cannot associate with the uncircumcised Gentile, and you certainly hate the Roman soldier. They're the ones who put Jesus on the cross. They have occupied your country. But Peter decides to go. And so he travels to Caesarea, and when he gets to Caesarea, it says he goes inside. Now, we just pass by that line, and that's a huge line. He crosses over the threshold. Jews would never do that. You know that you can't do that. It makes you unclean. You do not do that with Gentiles. In fact, Peter's first word is, you know how unlawful it is for me to be here. Cornelius has invited all of his friends, all of his family to see Peter. And Peter comes in and he says, you know this is unlawful for me to be here, but... God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And the two of them sit down to eat together and to get to know each other. It will change both of them and it will change the world. Because Cornelius will be baptized and become the first uncircumcised Gentile Roman to become part of the Christian faith. And it opened the door for you and me to be a part of the Christian faith. 
It changed everything. Because two men decided, in spite of all that we've been taught, in spite of all that we have read and all that we have heard, maybe the radical love of Christ calls us to get to know our neighbor. That's what I want us to talk about today. That's what we're going to be talking about all year long. Love your neighbor. No exceptions. There's really three things that I want us to see today. First of all, it is interesting when you stop and think about what does it mean to love your neighbor, to get to know them. If you and I would judge our others based on the content of their character, who would we be willing to get to know? You know, today, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr.'s day. It's not his birthday, but it's the day we honor Martin Luther King. And he did so much to try to help our country struggle with civil rights back in the 60s. I lived in those 60s. Many of you did. And if you did, you will go back and remember how you could see a restaurant and it would say, whites only, coloreds only. Coloreds only restroom, white only uh, water fountain. The segregation that went on in our country was anything but separate and equal. You look back and think, how could we have done that? It was Martin Luther King who really began helping us to confront these issues of what we were doing. And I will always remember, 1963, there on the Lincoln Memorial... He gave his I Have a Dream speech, which is my favorite speech of his. And in it, he makes that statement, which he says, I have a dream that one day my four children will be judged by the content of their character rather than by the color of their skin. What a time it would be if you and I could make a commitment that we are going to stop judging people by the color of their skin but rather by the content of their character. It is true, we have come so far in the last 50 years. But it would be foolish to say that we have done away with prejudice or we no longer ever judge people because of the color of their skin. Whites will judge blacks, blacks judge whites, or browns, or yellow, or red. We make assumptions and decisions about one another because of the color of somebody's skin. How crazy is this? And yet we do it all the time. Conscious or unconscious. To make a decision, I, I want to know the content of their character. We went up to Pittsburgh not only to visit with Rabbi Myers, but we also went up there to go to Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Some of you know Latrobe, Pennsylvania. It's about 40 miles east of Pittsburgh. But we wanted to go to Latrobe because Latrobe is the birthplace of Fred Rogers. And there at St. Vincent College, which happens to be the first Benedictine monastery in America, there is where they have the Fred Rogers Museum and Learning Center. And we wanted to go and, and to see this learning center and to learn more about Fred Rogers and his message and what does it mean to be a good neighbor. And so we traveled over to Latrobe one day. 
We got to meet the executive director there of the museum. She was wonderful. She brought us back in the back part and, and people's offices, seeing all kinds of artifacts and, and furniture and different things that were Fred Rogers. I got lots of stories to tell you for weeks to come. But as we got to visiting with her, we learned more and more about Fred and what he was doing, how in the 60s he worked to create his television show, trying different things there and in other places. But it wasn't until 1968 he brought it all together and finally created Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. That's when it began. First children's television program, public television. Well, it, it would be that way for another year and a half, and that's when Sesame Street would ultimately start. But Mr. Rogers believed from the very beginning with his television show, he wanted to show the children of America and the world, everybody belongs in a neighborhood. And so he made sure he had African Americans, Native Americans, people of Asian descent, all kinds of people who were characters as a part of the show and then all kinds of guests from around the world to come and to be a part of his show. 1969, when America was still in great turmoil with civil rights, he really went out and made a statement. In 1969, when it came to summer, one of the great struggles was blacks swimming in the same swimming pool as whites. I mean, We've made progress. Can you imagine that was the great struggle? Can black and white swim together in the same pool? So what Mr. Rogers did, he had created a, a character, police officer Clemens. The man was Francois Clemens. He was African-American. He played the part of the policeman who was always dropping by on the show for Mr. Rogers. And so he came by and what he did was he had a wading pool and it was summertime, and he's out there going, it sure is hot. I, I need to cool my feet off. And he takes his shoes off, and he starts filling up the tub, this, this little swimming pool. And along comes Officer Clemens. Officer Clemens, it's hot. Wouldn't you like to cool off and put your feet in this little swimming pool? Well, I don't have a towel, he said. And Fred said, I'll share mine with you. That was a statement in and of itself. And Francois Clemens comes over, Officer Clemens. He takes off his shoes, puts his feet into the pool, and they're sitting there spraying water on them. And the camera can zoom in, a pair of white feet and a pair of black feet, side by side in this little wading pool. Just teaching the children, that's just normal. Nothing strange. For parents, oh, it brought quite a reaction black and white together in a little wading pool. And then when it came to the end, Fred says, why don't you use my towel? Dry your feet. Fred was always trying to make that statement. Francois Clemens would be on the show for 24 years. For 24 years, he would be Officer Clemens on uh, this uh, um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The truth of the matter is, he was an incredible singer, and that's where he made his living was through his singing. But 24 years later, he was retiring from the show, his final episode. And on that final episode, they recreated the scene again, 1993. When they now sat together and they put their feet back in the pool, washed them again. But Francois Clemens said, when it came then to the end, and now we're going to get our feet out of the pool, 
Fred didn't give me his towel. He got down on his hands and his knees and he dried my feet. And he said, I couldn't help but think about the symbolism of Jesus drying the feet of his disciples. And he said, it touched my heart. And he began to sing as only he could sing in such a beautiful voice, the song, The Many Ways I Say I Love You. To be able to judge someone, not on the color of their skin, but to come to know the content of their character. What would it be if you and I made that decision that we would not jump to a conclusion about someone because they're black or red or brown or white, whatever it may be. It was Peter who traveled to Caesarea and here he sees Cornelius, a Gentile, a Roman soldier. And rather than passing judgment, he goes in to sit down and to eat and to get to know him. And because he got to know him, it would change both of their lives. It would change your life and my life. It would change the world. Get to know your neighbor, the rabbi said. Secondly, understand that when you show kindness, you change somebody's life forever. You know, right now, what I find is frustrating, and I'm sure that you do as well, and that's, you know, you start watching the news, and maybe it's something you're seeing in entertainment or sports, or maybe it's politics, or maybe it's the church. You know, you start seeing all these things, and, and you realize, you know, there's so much anger and so much divisive language out there that what you hear and you realize, you know, I can't control that. I can't stop that. That's what starts to depress us, when you feel powerless to stop everything that's happening out there. Well, let me tell you, you may not be able to stop that, but there's a secret. Your remote control has an off button. Turn it off. You can only listen to so much of that stuff. And what I'm asking is, will you focus on the person who is right in front of you? Focus on the person in front of you and get to know your neighbor and be kind. That kindness blesses life and will change your life and their life and you never know the ripple effect and you do help change the world. Rather than being frustrated because you can't change everything out here and all the people who are spewing hate, Turn it off and focus on the person in front of you and choose to get to know your neighbor and be kind. When we went to Latrobe, we wanted to learn a lot about Fred Rogers and his upbringing. And, and you know, I, I have to say, I didn't really know a lot about him being a kid. And I don't know why, I just made the assumption he probably grew up in a good middle-class family. He was a good Presbyterian. Or I thought, you know, maybe he actually grew up poor. And he is against all odds and he made something of himself and blessed children from around the world. No, what we discovered was Fred grew up rich. His grandfather was Fred McNeely, McFeely, 
of which you might recognize the name. So yes, McFeely, and there was McFeely Brick Company. He was a big entrepreneur, certainly someone who did very well financially. And so his father, Rogers, married the boss's daughter, and he then ultimately became CEO and president of the company. And he had other companies and had a bank. And no, the Rogers family, the McFeely family, they were probably the richest people in town. Fred Rogers grew up, and he had a cook and a chauffeur and a nanny, lived in a beautiful three-story house. It really afforded him many opportunities of things to do. But Fred would learn, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean people like you. As a little boy going to school, he was rather chubby. Can you imagine Fred Rogers chubby? He was chubby, and, and he was shy, he wasn't an athlete. He didn't feel like he fit, fit in. He was always being picked on. One day in elementary school, the school let out early. The chauffeur did not know when he was supposed to be picking Fred up, which didn't bother Fred. He was happy to walk home, and he starts walking home, and he realizes there's boys behind him. And he begins to look over his shoulder, and they start laughing. And they go, hey, fat Freddy, fat Freddy, we're going to get you, fat Freddy. Scared him to death. He started to run. He went and hid a house. When he finally felt it was clear, he came out and then ran finally to his home, went upstairs to that second floor. He cried and cried. That's what his childhood was like, feeling picked on. He didn't belong. People bully today with, in the cyber world. It's even tougher, but it was still happening in the 40s and 50s. That was the way it was for Fred all the way till he was finally in ninth grade. In ninth grade, though, he, uh, he had a, a young man named Jim Stumbaugh who was a member of the Presbyterian Church. He and Fred knew each other, but they didn't run in the same social circles. You know, Jim was the quarterback of the football team, star in the track team, star in basketball, good-looking kid, never met a stranger, outgoing. Well, he got hurt. And he was in the hospital. He was going to be there for a while. And so Fred volunteered to get his textbooks and to get the homework assignments every day to bring them by, to share them so he wouldn't fall behind in school. And so Fred started going to the hospital every day to see Jim, telling him what's going on in school. Here's your assignments. And as these two boys sat down and started getting to know one another, finally Fred opened up one day and began to talk about what does it mean to be bullied to never feel like you fit in or you're not accepted and you're picked on. He opened up about all those feelings he had. And then it was Jim who opened up and began to say his father had died two years before and he was still grieving and he never let anybody see him cry. But he cried so often at home. These two boys got to know each other. And when I went back to school, it was Jim who began saying to the other kids, hey, stop picking on this, this Rogers kid. He's an okay guy. Started inviting him to social settings where he thought Fred would have fun. And because Jim was speaking up, well, the kids let him come. They started getting to know him. They found Fred was very kind and nice and could be fun. He loved to sing, would sing funny songs. 
Well, before he knew it, Fred was finding a confidence he had never knew he had. He started writing articles for the school newspaper. Before he knew it, he was the editor of the school newspaper and the editor of the yearbook. And then he was elected president of the student council. And then, of course, he wound up having a girlfriend he could take to the prom. And his senior year, he was voted most likely to succeed. From a lonely, outcast ninth grader to someone who had found a confidence and, and found themselves? It was Fred Rogers who would say, isn't it amazing what one person can mean for a life? And I think of how Fred Rogers blessed millions of children. And maybe he blessed millions of children because you can go back to Jim Stumbaugh who helping experience confidence and the willingness to try. To get to know your neighbor. To choose to be kind. It will change your life and and maybe you help to change the world. Fred Rogers would grow up, and of course he started Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He did it at WQED, WQED television station. It was only the fifth public television station in America. He really caught it on the wave with this new idea of public television. We went to go see WQED, and it happens to be right across the corner from Rodef Shalom congregation there, the Jewish congregation. And we found a story that said Fred Rogers, when he finally was working there and really had gotten Mr. Rogers' neighborhood established and it was up and going and everybody was watching, well, he, he drove an old Impala. Nothing fancy, just always had an Impala. And he'd park on the street. I can tell you there is no parking there. He'd park on the street. And one day he came out after filming Mr. Rogers' neighborhood and when he did, he, he discovered the car was gone. It had been stolen. He went down to the police and he filed his report. And boy, immediately the newspapers picked it up, the radios picked it up, the TV picked it up. Mr. Rogers' car was stolen. 48 hours later, the car was back at the same place where it had been taken. And on the dashboard, there was an apology that said, we never would have taken it if we'd have known it was yours. You treat your neighbor differently when you know them. You get to know your neighbor and you choose to be kind and you change their life and yours. Peter would go to Caesarea and sit down with Cornelius, a Jew who knows he can't be friends with a Gentile and they break bread and they eat and and Peter discovers what an amazing man of faith, a God-fearer, someone who worships Yahweh and is not Jewish, someone who gives alms and who prays. And he says he wants to be baptized. And so Peter baptizes him and he becomes the first convert of the Gentile community into a Christian church. It changed the world for you and me. It changed things forever to get to know your neighbor. It allows us to live the radical call of Christ. God has shown me, Peter said, you should call no man common or unclean. 
And so finally, third, while we were there, we were looking at St. Vincent College there with Mr. Rogers in Latrobe. And as we were driving around the small little campus, about 1,600 students, what we noticed was there, and they had a press box on their football field, and it said Chuck Knoll Field. Now, if you're a football fan, you know that Chuck Knoll was the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers for years, back with Terry Bradshaw, when they were winning Super Bowl after Super Bowl. Chuck Knoll Field. Ask a few questions, and what we discovered was the Pittsburgh Steelers come to St. Vincent College there in Latrobe every year for their training camp before the football season starts. The players stay in the dorms, and they practice there on the field. And boy, it was just kind of the beginning. For the next few days, we learned more and more all about the Pittsburgh Steelers. And seeing this field and thinking about the Steelers, working on this sermon, it made me think about Heinz Ward. We're going to be watching the Super Bowl here in a couple of weeks. And you know, it was Heinz Ward who in 2006, playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers, was the most valuable player, the MVP. Pittsburgh Steelers won the Super Bowl back in 2006. Heinz Ward playing for them, MVP. What was fascinating about that is Heinz Ward's father was African American and his mother was Korean. It turned out that his father was a soldier who went to South Korea, met this lady, they fell in love, they got married, they had a son. But in South Korea, there's a huge prejudice against children of mixed blood. That's what they call it, mixed blood. And there was a strong pushback to any kind of interracial marriage. They found themselves excluded from her family, relatives, friends. After a year, they decided maybe it'd be better if they would just come to the United States. They moved back to Atlanta. But you know what they found here in the United States is there's still lots of prejudice against a couple of an African-American and a Korean a child of mixed blood. It wasn't as bad as in Korea. It's still bad. That takes a toll on a relationship. And finally, Heinz Ward's father left them and really didn't enter in his life anymore. They got divorced. And now you had a single mother who didn't speak English, who's trying to learn English and is working three different jobs, trying to keep a roof over their head and food on their table. She knew she could not go home to South Korea. There was no family who was going to take her in. She was alone in this world and was going to have to make it. And she did everything she could to make it. She wanted her son to get a good education. So she kept a roof over his head and food on the table and kept him in school. It turned out he was an incredible athlete. He did well in high school, then college, drafted by the Steelers. And suddenly in 2006, Heinz Ward is MVP of the Super Bowl. That was big news. And right after that, he decided he wanted to take his mom and go back to South Korea. He wanted to go home and he wanted to see this country that he had left when he was one year old. He wanted to see where she had grown up, wanted to maybe meet some of the relatives, wanted to eat Korean food. He wanted to go home with her. Now, what he didn't realize was he had become the favorite son in South Korea. Everybody was so proud of Heinz Ward. In fact, if you learn, the most Googled news story in that day in South Korea was Heinz Ward. That's big news. And when he landed, it was a media firestorm. 
Everybody wanted to be around him, have an autograph. He stayed for two months with his mom. He wanted to go to the Pearl S. Buck Homes. The foundation had started creating homes there in South Korea where mixed-race children could come and live. Children who were put out on the streets. Children who had no home. Children who were just simply cast off. They could come, and there they were loved, a roof over their head, they were taken care of. And so what he did, what Heinz Ward did, was he had all what he called hope events. He would go to these homes wherever he could find children of mixed race and have a hope event, and there he would sign autographs for free. He would sign all these autographs, and he would tell these children one-on-one, -on -one, you know, I like you just the way you are. Is a Mr. Rogers moment. I like you just the way you are. If I can do it, you can do it. It caused such a stir in South Korea. Everybody was talking about it. It was all the news as he traveled around the country. He would give a million dollars to this organization to say, do what you can to bless these children. Near the end of his trip, it was the most widely published newspaper in South Korea, the editor who wrote an editorial. And I, I want to read you just a couple of lines of what the editor had to say. We must end this embarrassing habit of discrimination against mixed blood people. We should open our minds and hold their hands to raise the second and third generations of Heinz Ward in Korea. We must open our minds and hold their hands. Peter said to Cornelius, God has shown me I should not call any man common or unclean. To discover that Jews could be friends with Gentiles. It really is possible to love your neighbor. No exceptions. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us come into the presence of God as we each take our own time for silent prayer. Amen. Oh,